Please be seated. Good morning, Ocean View. Good to see everybody this morning. And uh, just uh, Pastor Darren is away. They made it to Maui, I think. So that is cool. So next three weeks, I'll be with you. And uh, Darren is uh, enjoying uh, hospitality of his aunt and uncle in Maui, so that's good. Uh, just, uh, just a note for you online. Um, last couple of weeks, or in the beginning of January, Sandra and I were unable to come, and it was so nice to be able to go online and still get to church and then do all the other things that we ended up having to do. And uh, I've heard Darren was telling me some stories of people who are watching online. So here's a little challenge for you. If you're watching online, send us a text, send us uh, an email just saying uh, that you're watching and maybe a story of what's going on that you've been able to connect in. It's great to have that capacity. At least COVID has made all the churches kind of figure this digital thing out and make it work. So this is really good. Let me bring you up to date a little bit on Sandra and myself. Back in October, uh, I preached here at Ocean View on Paul's missionary journey to Pisidian Antioch. And then on November 1st, Sandra's mom went into hospital with some sort of mild stroke and losing mobility. Uh, we were visiting her, or Sandra was visiting her twice a week because of all the COVID guidelines and restrictions. Uh, in November 15th, I started back to work at uh, Camp Quanos. I work up to 20 hours a week. Uh, taking care of the sewage treatment plant and uh, doing construction projects. It's actually enjoyable because I come and go when I want to go and uh, I don't actually have to do all the other stuff at camp. So just build stuff. That's been really good. We spent Christmas with Sarah and her family in Powell River. There was snow, there were icy roads, there was cold weather. Uh, we started back into the new year trying to find a care home for Sandra's mom and then on January 7th, 10.30 uh, in the evening, we got a call from the hospital that mom had died unexpectedly in the hospital. And then we were dealing with the shock of that because we weren't expecting that. Dealing with funeral arrangements, the lawyer, the bank, the real estate, organizing her belongings, finding all kinds of pictures and stuff in closets and things, and it's like, oh man, what are you going to do with all this stuff? And a lot of it ends up in the garbage. Selling her home. We, this past Thursday, we had a funeral for her. Um, and it's all a bit overwhelming. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been at a lot of funerals. And it was interesting. I found I was exhausted at the end of the day, and I didn't even have to do hardly anything for that. We get weary, we get tired, we get weak. Well, I brought something from Grandpa's basement, and uh, there, we have this clock here. This little clock is, uh, it's an eagle uh, with a clock on the bottom. It, uh, it comes from my good friend, uh, Bud Traver, Margaret Traver, their estate, as we were closing up their estate and trying to get rid of all of their stuff as they passed away. There was no family, so the church kind of took over, and it, we kind of got it, okay, you have to take this, you have to take this, you have to figure out what to do with this. We, we got the clock and a few other paintings. It was cool. But this clock is, uh, is interesting. Eagle. Eagles are mentioned 30 times in the Bible. And the most well-known passage would be in Isaiah. When you're tired and weary and stumbling, here is what it says. Do you not know? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Well, this morning, specifically, we're not specifically looking at eagles, but we are looking at our great God who renews our strength when we are weary. We're not looking at eagles. Instead, we're going to be looking at ravens. Now, not crows, but ravens. And I was thinking, you know, as I was thinking about it, what's the difference between a crow and a raven? Well, I looked it up, and here, here it is, crows. They are the same genus, but they are two different species. Ravens are larger than crows. They have a wingspan of about three to four feet, whereas a crow is about two and a half feet. The raven is 24 to 27 inches long from head to tail, whereas the crow is about 17 inches. Uh, they weigh about twice as much. A raven is 40 ounces, a crow is about 20 ounces. When they're flying, their tail creates a bit of a diamond shape, whereas a crow has a flat fan shape. And then their beaks. Uh, the raven has a, a larger beak. It's thicker and it's curved at the end, a little bit of a curve on it, whereas a crow is slimmer and straighter. Well, that's the difference between a crow and a raven. And we're going to talk about ravens this morning because we were beginning our three-week series on Elijah. And there's a lot of desert geography here. Elijah, the, apostle, or the writer James in the New Testament says, Elijah was a man just like us. But God used him in a mighty way. One of the greatest men of God recorded on all of Scripture. But maybe we want to ask the question this morning, how did he get to be a great man of God? We want to consider the making of a man of God or the making of a woman of God. How does God do it? So grab your Bibles, turn with me to the first half of the Bible into, James, into, King, into 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me give you the context. Here's the context. Here's what's going on in this, in this time of history. Now, it's after the glory days of King David and King Solomon, where the kingdom of Israel was all the way from Jerusalem up to Galilee. The northern ten tribes held a referendum, and they created a divided kingdom. So in the north, you had Israel, ten tribes up there, and two tribes down in the south called Judah. So Judah and Israel. The northern kingdom experienced 19 consecutive evil kings, spanning about 200 years. So think of national leaders, a queen, a king, a prime minister, a president. Not just one, but 19 consecutive ungodly leaders. At this point, probably one of the most evil kings from Scripture, his name was Ahab. The Bible says Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. In the ancient world, the leaders, uh, the chiefs, the kings influenced everything. 
And it became times of idolatry. Evil kings would turn and could turn people's hearts away from the true God to false gods. This was Ahab. He ruled for 22 years, which was actually quite a long time in, uh, of reign in those days. Ahab was married to a princess from the kingdom to the north, Tyre, Jezebel. Now, Jezebel means, where is the prince? Bel, prince, Baal. She was a priestess. She was not only a princess, she was a priestess of the Canaanite gods of Baal and Asherah. She had a very strong spiritual influence in the northern kingdoms. So much so that there were in their kingdom 450 spiritual promoters or priests of Baal and 400 promoters of Asherah. Baal was the uh, god of rain, of lightning, of thunder. And people in that agricultural society would worship Baal because they figured, Baal, we need the rain. This was a desert or dry country, but they would grow great product, great um, crops if they had rain. And so they would, they would worship Baal. And then they would worship Asherah, who was a female goddess, and she was the goddess of fertility, of growth, of crops, of prosperity. And they had great hopes of prosperity, and they're no different than today. See, people would sacrifice their children to these false gods of hope in hopes of getting ahead in life. They wanted prosperity. They wanted great crops. They wanted to grow, and they would physically burn their children in the fires and offer them to the gods in order to get prosperity. That was their thinking. Not much different than today as we, we offer our children in abortion in hopes of prosperity. I can't afford any more kids and so we get rid of them for prosperity. In those days, they would go into the temples and engage in sexual activities with sacred prostitutes, and they would call it worship. Ahab's reign was more evil than anyone before him. Spiritually, things were dark. But understand this, financially, things were very prosperous. Things were going great, but there was a cost. Dark times of corruption, major scandals, injustice, inequity, prolific idol worship. And God says, enough is enough. Now, God didn't raise up an army. He raised up one person to take a stand, one man. God may want to do something similar where you live. Raise up one teenager to take a stand for purity. One business leader to take a stand for integrity. Maybe raise up one person to go into politics to take a stand for that which is true. God often raises up one person to make a difference, a person like Elijah. So we ask the question, who is Elijah? The title of today's talk is The Making of a Man of God, or in your case, it could be The Making of a Woman of God. How did it happen then? Because maybe it is happening in your life as well today. Elijah. Well, in the Old Testament, Names meant something. There's an, a meaning to the name, and often people were, were uh, named specifically in their name was a who they were. Well, Elijah, what does Elijah's name mean? It actually has three root words, El, I, Ya. El is uh, short for Elohim. Elohim is the word we have all the way through Scripture in Hebrew. It means gods, but you always say 
God. It is plural, but it is always pronounced or thought in your mind singular. E is uh, the idea of my or mine, the possessive. And Yah was short for Yahweh or Jehovah. We're, we're still not sure exactly what the name of God is. Up in the right-hand corner there, or yes, right-hand corner, you see the tetragrammaton, meaning four letters. Those are the four letters all the way through the Old Testament in Hebrew that is the name of God. And around the second century we, uh, BC, we know that the name was not used. People would substitute another word instead of saying the name of God because it was so holy. You didn't want to profane it by saying it, so you'd say something else. So you would say Adonai. Adonai simply means Lord. So God's name is not Lord. It is a substitute for whatever that name is. And we think, uh, scholars think it is Yahweh. Elijah's name then means, my God is Yahweh. Or as we would have it in our scriptures, Old Testament, you would have capital L-O-R-D, Lord, or the tetragrammaton. The Lord is my God. My God is Yahweh. So every time you said, every time anyone said Elijah, it said who he stood for. My God is Yahweh. God raises up this prophet to stand down the king. The very name alone is making the testimony. The Lord is the one true God. My God is Yahweh. He confronts the king who had turned so many against the one true God. We're going to pick it up now in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Well, we're not sure where Tishbe is, but we do recognize Gilead. Gilead was on the east bank of the Jordan River in the northern kingdom. Each year at Passover, um, after the cup of redemption where we have communion coming out of the Passover, would come the last cup. And the last cup is called the cup of Elijah. And they sing a song and it goes like this, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu HaTishbe, Eliyahu HaGiladi. Elijah the prophet, Elijah from Tishbe, Elijah from Gilead. Well, that is the guy we're talking about, Elijah. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He's got a message for the king. He identifies the one true God. He says, I serve him. And it was directed against the false gods of rain and storm. Remember I said Baal, Asherah? They were about prosperity. They were about rain. They were about bringing uh, all the things that they needed to grow crops. And Elijah says, God, the creator of the rain, the one true God is going to attack Baal. You will not have rain or even dew on the ground for the next few years. If this was a movie... The music would be going bum, bum, bum. Strategic, prophetic judgments against the land. In the current times, you know, we sometimes talk about a global economic shutdown or slowdown. This would have been the threat of a regional economic shutdown in an agriculturally driven economy. No rain shuts everything down. You can't get gas at the gas station. 
Banks are not only not lending money, you can't get your own money out of the bank. There's no electricity in your home. There's no water in the plumbing. Life as you know it has just ended. People are starving. Unemployment reaches 50, 60, 70 percent. This man of God stands down the king and he says, no more rain. That's why I'm wearing the fire and brimstone shirt this morning. No more rain. That's it. It's, it's happening. This is a judgment of God. Tremendous faith would be needed to do that. And it's setting the scene for a big fight. And we expect uh, miracle bolts of lightning. Now God does something a bit different at this point in Elijah's life. He sends Elijah into a season of hiding. God takes Elijah away to prepare him for the things that he has planned for him to do. So we're really going to be looking in the, the next five chapters of the story. But this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of the story. Now understand this. God will do more in Elijah because there's more God wants to do through Elijah. God's going to be working in Elijah because he's got stuff for Elijah to do. Perhaps we can identify that in our own life. The seasons of preparation for the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. The first season of preparation, this first season that God takes Elijah through is called the season of isolated pain. Elijah is very alone. He has no one else to call out to. Chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. Now, in Hebrew, Kareth means cut off or cut down. Cut off from the source. Cut off from the blessings. Cut down like you would chop down a tree. And it's if, as if God is saying, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent upon me. I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. I'm going to do something in you that's very deep so that later on you can do more than you ever thought possible. A lot of times, people, followers of God, are in Kareth Ravine. We're in a season of pain and we ask, where is God? Oftentimes, God is right there doing a deep work in you. There's a story of the little sparrow who hated to fly south every year. He dreaded the thought of leaving his home so much that on one year he delayed his year's journey until the very last day. And after bidding his friends farewell, he went back to the nest and stayed for another four weeks. Well, finally the weather turned so bitterly cold that he couldn't delay any longer, so he took off and started south. It began to rain. Soon ice began to form on his little wings. He was starting to freeze. Almost dead from the cold and exhaustion, he fell to the earth in a barnyard. As he was about to breathe his last breath, a horse walked out of the barn and proceeded to cover the little bird with manure. 
At first, the poor little sparrow could think of nothing but what a terrible way to die this was. But as the manure began to sink into his feathers and warm him up, life began to return to his little body and became so happy that he started to sing. And then a large cat came into the barnyard and heard a little sparrow's chirping. And the cat began to dig into this pile of manure to find out where the sound was coming from. Finally, the cat uncovered the little bird and ate him. Now the story has three morals. Not everyone who dumps on you is your enemy. Not everyone who takes manure off you is your friend. Number three, when you are warm and comfortable, even if it's in a pile of manure, it probably pays to keep your mouth shut. Some of you may have been or are in Kareth Ravine. Some of you might say, man, I'm, I'm living in the ravine now. I'm there, I'm being broken, it's like I'm being cut down, the manure is piling up around me. Those things that I used to depend on, I can no longer depend on. I'm, on, I'm in Kareth Ravine. And God may say, no, 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 you've got to understand I'm doing something in you. There's a preparatory work going on. I'm teaching you something that you couldn't learn any other way. I'm doing this work in you so I can do more through you. You're there. You could be there on purpose. You're in the ravine. Elijah was there for months, all alone, nobody to talk to. It was like an ancient COVID isolation that went on for months and months and months. No one understood the Kareth Ravine where God was breaking him. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and author from the early 1900s. And he said this, It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. We really don't want to hear things like that. But that often seems how God is working. The more that God breaks you, the more that God is preparing you the isolated pain, the season of Kareth Ravine. So the first season of preparation was this isolated pain. The second season, though, that we see God taking Elijah through, God is shaping him and molding him into a man of God in power. And he has this season of total dependence. Total dependence. Elijah must depend on God alone. It says, God says to him, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And then in verse four it says, or 5, it says, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah's all by himself, and God does this miracle thing. There's a drought, there's no rain, but there is still a little brook running in the back hills. And God's heavenly catering service comes. The ravens come out and they find bread and meat every morning, every evening, delivering them straight to the prophet. And you thought DoorDash was a 21st century thing. Well, this was, uh, this was the Old Testament DoorDash. I'm not sure what condition the raven bread is like. Uh, you know, it could have been a McDonald's hamburger that the ravens pulled out of a dumpster somewhere. But every morning, every evening, there was food. It's uh, like visions of things to come. 
Domino's has been experimenting with, uh, with drones delivering your pizza. So, yeah, it's, an, it's a biblical thing. So don't worry about it if you see it happening. The ravens brought him bread and meat. What was God doing? God was saying, I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide for you. Something you used to trust in for your security, it's been taken away. You don't have anything else to trust in except the giver of life and the giver of all good things. When everything else that you used to believe in fades away, God will forever and always be faithful to you. There was a single mom who knew this lesson very well. She would pray every day, very loudly in her little small apartment. She would pray to God and worship Him for His provision. Now she lived next door to an atheist who hated hearing her prayers through the very thin walls. She would worship God. And the atheist would come over and say, Lady, you're a fool. There is no God. One week, when there was more month left than money, she was crying out to God. Oh God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come through again. Oh God, please provide food for my children. Now hearing this, the atheist had had enough. He went to the grocery store, he bought several bags of food, he brought it to the woman's apartment, put it at her door, knocked on the door, and then ran and hid in his apartment. She came out. She saw the food. She immediately started to pray, Oh God in heaven, you're so good, thank you so much, it's so amazing. And the unbelieving neighbor jumped out and said, Aha, you fool, there is no God. God didn't do that. I did it just to prove to you that there is no God. But she worshiped God all the more. She says, thank you, Lord, you provided for my needs and you made the devil pay the bills. <laughs> God says, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to, I will deliver what you need. God didn't give him three months' supply. That really ticks me off about God. You don't get three months' supply. You don't get a week's worth of food. God didn't give him two days' worth of food. What did God give him? Enough for one meal. Hurting and alone and afraid, God delivers enough for the day. Uncomfortable. Afraid. God says, I will be your comfort for today. You don't have much. I will be your provision for today. Why do you think we pray, God, give us our daily bread? You can feel very weak, and God says, I will be your strength for today. Your friends leave you. Jesus says, I will be your friend for the day. I may not bring more than you need, but I will bring exactly what you need. I will be your daily bread. Elijah learns to depend on God for that day. And as they say in AA, one day at a time. God is teaching him. God is breaking him. God is humbling Elijah, teaching him total dependence. God is making Elijah into a man of God, a person of God through a season of isolated pain and a season of total dependence. And the third thing God teaches Elijah, God takes him through a season of unconditional obedience verse 7 sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land then the word of the Lord came to him go at once to Zarephath 
of Sidon and stay there. Well, what's God doing now? He told me to confront the king. Now it's all changing. So put yourself into the prophet's place. It's been months that he's been in Kareth Ravine. There's daily water. God told him to go there. But now the brook dries up. God says to move on. Okay, God, where are you? What's the purpose of being here? You gave me water from the brook. Now the water's drying up. Did I do something wrong? You're telling me to move on. Did I miss you the first time? Am I hearing you, God? The brook dried up. Why would the source of what used to feed me dry it up? The same God who gave water can take water away. Because often, God may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave where we are and go where we're supposed to be. Sometimes things happen in life. The brook dries up in order to give us the courage to move where God wants us to be. I used to be able to trust in my job, but I'm not sure I can trust in my job anymore. I used to have this nest egg, but it's all disappearing. I had all these good friends, and then my friendship, friendship brook is drying up. I used to be really close to God, but it's like the brook is drying up. People say God guides by what he provides. And preachers say, where there is vision, God gives the provision. But God will often guide by what he provides. That's true. But God also guides by what he does not provide. The same God who gives water may cause the brook to dry up. To give us the courage to take a step of total obedience, he will often guide by what he doesn't provide. The brook dried up, and God says, go to Zarephath. You go, I don't understand. God, what are you doing? I, some of you are old enough to remember the Karate Kid movie back in 1984, where old Mr. Miyagi is teaching 17-year-old Daniel karate, but in a very unusual way. Come to my little house, he says. Paint my fence. Wash my car. Scrub my floor. Hour after hour, day after day after day. Finally, Daniel is so frustrated. He says, I thought you were going to teach me to fight. Mr. Miyagi says, that's what we've been doing. And he shows him that all the exercises come together and he has karate. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly how it works. However, it made a good movie. Daniel goes, oh, now I see it's all coming together. God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine. Huh? Be fed by the ravens. What? The brook dried up. Why? God causes him to go to this new place, a new adventure, a new need. And Elijah travels to this new place, a hundred miles or so out of country to the north, getting closer to where Queen Jezebel came from. This is actually her country, her homeland, right outside. And it's like going right into the devil's homeland. And there he sees this widow who God says is going to provide for him. He goes, Madam, I'm really thirsty. Could you uh, give me some water to drink? Maybe a little snack. Uh, I'm kind of hungry. And the widow says, Are you the only guy that doesn't know it? It hasn't rained here. We're dying. There's a drought. I'm a widow. I've got one son. He's back at the hut. I came out to get some sticks. I'm going to make my last meal. We've got a little bit of flour. We've got a little bit of oil in the jug. That's all I got left. Enough for one last meal. We're going to eat, and then we're going to die. Now, because of what God has been doing in Elijah's life, Elijah says, no, you're not. 
He looks at an impossible situation and he speaks faith into it. That flower that you have will not run out. The jar of oil will not go dry. Go back and bake me some biscuits. She does, and they ate the biscuits. And the flour did not run out, and the oil did not run dry day after day after day after day. And that's where they sang the doxology for the first time. Praise God from whom all biscuits flow. And they ate for weeks and for months. God supernaturally provided for Elijah in his unconditional obedience to God. And then one day, tragedy struck. The little boy died mysteriously. Mama says, Elijah, did you come here so this would happen? Because God was shaping him, Elijah did an amazing thing. He takes the dead boy, carries him up to the upper room, puts his body on top of him, looks up to heaven and says, God, I think you could heal this little guy. I'm asking you to do it. And God raises a dead boy to life. Why did it happen? Because God took him to Kareth Ravine, where he was cut down. God took him to a season of total dependence, where he couldn't depend on anything at all but God alone. God dried up the brook so that he would leave where he was to go where God ultimately wanted him to be to raise the dead back to life. God used the horrible things to shape him into a true man of God. Next week, we're going to see God give Elijah the faith and the courage to confront 450 false prophets. He's going to ask God to send fire from heaven to prove God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Why could Elijah have such faith? Because he'd been through Kareth Ravine. Some of you are in a season of deep pain. And God may just say, hey, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you. Chapter 1 of verse 17 that we read this morning at the very beginning. Elijah was described as Elijah, the man from Tishbe. He was known by where he's from. Now in verse 24... The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. He's known now not where he's from, but instead for whom he's from. He is the, not a man of Tishbe, he is a man of God. God may allow you to go through Kareth Ravine so that one day someone will look at you and say, oh, Now I know, I see it, you're a woman of God. Now I see it, you're a child of God. Now I see it, you're a man of God. The making of a man or a woman of God, they often go through Kareth Ravine. So God can do in them what he wants to do before he does more through them. Maybe you're saying, I'm in the ravine right now. It's hurting, it's difficult. The things I used to trust in, they're not there anymore. I've got nowhere else to go but God. I'm learning to trust in Him. The brook dried up and I can no longer stay where I was comfortable. I've got to go somewhere new. If you're in one of those places today, you're hurting some. Maybe it's financial or health or career or relationships or children or security or mental health. Remember Elijah. Remember how God turned him into a man of God through Kareth Ravine. 
A number of uh, months ago, we had a, uh, a prayer request that came in our pastoral prayer time. And it was about Gavin. Gavin uh, and his family live in uh, Alberta, in Airdrie. And uh, Gavin uh, had a, a brain tumor. And then it, it seemed to clear up. And then one day, bam, he, uh, he ended up with a, a collapsing. And Gavin has been 